your post Pilates gear, those funkified running shoes, they could all smell like a new car. Thanks to the MyGM Rewards card, you'll earn four points for every dollar spent on all purchases everywhere. And seven total points for every dollar spent with GM. Earn towards a brand new GM ride with every yoga mat and spa treatment. That's the power of appreciation. From us to you. Namaste, y'all. Subject to credit approval. Terms and limitations apply. Visit MyGMRewardsCard.com. Hello, just to let you know before we start, I will be at the Edinburgh Fringe with my show Things and it will be running from the 16th to the 27th of August at Room 2 of Black Market on Market Street. And then if you're in Ireland, I will be on tour from September, early September until the end of November. All details are on GerardFerrelly.com. Also, I'll be doing a live episode of this very podcast as part of the Dublin Podcast Festival on the 20th of September in the Workman's Club in Dublin. And I might have some clues about the guests later on, so stick around for that. Now, I always say this, this podcast can be a regular. Can be is a regular. So if you like it, make sure that you subscribe wherever you downloaded this and then you won't miss an episode. Also, please do leave a lovely review and rate us on iTunes as this really does help other people to find us and it's free after all. So go on, be a good sport. Now, what a guest we have today. He is a singer, a songwriter, a composer and music producer. So I would imagine that he is particularly offended by this terrible theme music. Hello, you are very welcome to another episode of Fascinated. My guest today is Ben Adams. Ben is a very successful songwriter and music producer. He regularly has songs he has written or produced in the charts, but he has had a long career in front of the mic as a member of the boy band A1. Ben was always destined for a career in music, although maybe not the career that he actually has. As a child, he played piano and oboe, and he was a member of the school choir. Actually, that's a bit of an understatement. Ben was the head chorister of a choir at Westminster Abbey. But when he joined A1, he put his choir boy days behind him for good. A1 was formed in 1998. Paul Morazzi was a singer and dancer who had narrowly missed out on joining the new pop group, Steps. He met their manager with a view to being put into another band. They held auditions and Ben Adams, Mark Reed, and Christian Ingebrigtsen were recruited. The three new members were all accomplished musicians and singers, but they couldn't dance and they had to learn fast. By the time they were launched in 1999, the world was a peak boy band. There was a new one each week and they were disappearing just as quickly. With their first release, A1 looked like they were just going to continue that trend. But there was a couple of things that were different. Instead of having a lead singer, they all sang bits. And also, they had all written the song. Gradually, their musicianship became the unique selling point of A1. They raised eyebrows when, on a lineup consisting of a lot of artists miming, they performed their song every time, live on Saturday morning television, accompanied by Mark playing the piano. Lately. The four singles from their debut album hit six, five, three and six in the UK charts. They wrote the songs themselves and the final release, Like a Rose, was written by Ben Solo. But things didn't stay rosy for long. By the end of the first successful run of singles, things in the band were slightly fractious. While making the second album, Paul had refused to go to New York for a writing session, and this would prove to be a big mistake. The second album was coming in the wake of the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, and A1 adapted their sound. They were also a little bit more grown up, and not to put too fine a point on it, A1 got a little bit hot. The second album sold a lot of units, they had number ones with a cover of Aha's Take On Me and followed it with a song called Same Old Brand New You and then had another big hit with No More. 
They were on the crest of a wave, but they were weathering internal problems. Take On Me had done really well, and so had Same Old Brand New You. But that had been written at the writing session in New York that Paul had skipped. So he had missed out on a writing credit, and he had also missed out on a big payday. Paul wasn't the only one who was unhappy. At the Brit Awards, A1 collected the award for Best Breakthrough Act. They beat off competition from Coldplay and Craig David. At the ceremony, Noel Gallagher went on stage to present an award to U2. He had previously taken a few shots at A1 in the press, and he went on stage and said, This award ceremony has been accused over the years of not having a sense of humour. But then you see A1 winning Best Newcomer and you think, somebody's taking the piss. A1 responded in a very classy way. They did a cover of Don't Look Back in Anger at a concert. The group were conquering the world, and they were about to go on an Asian tour where they were told they were starting to become very popular. But shortly after the Asian tour, A1 would unexpectedly shut down. On the tour of Asia, the band learned that they were a lot more popular than they had realised. An appearance in the Philippines was cancelled when 20,000 people showed up at a mall in Manila instead of the expected 1,000. On the final leg of their Asian tour, they had a stop in Indonesia for an appearance at a record shop on the third floor of a mall in Jakarta. They performed and then they sat down to start signing autographs. Within 10 minutes, the crowd had tripled in size. The organisers tried to push the crowd back. But the band could see that people at the front were being squashed against the glass. They had just started signing autographs when they were told that the event was cancelled and that the organisers wanted them to leave and they were ushered from the building. Five hours after the event, they were told what had actually happened and they were flown to Singapore. The remainder of the Asian tour was cancelled and the band went on hiatus. Two sisters had passed out in the crowd from the intense heat and they were trampled. The organisers told fans the band had left, hoping it would cause them to start to disperse. Instead, it caused a stampede to get outside to see them. On the escalators, more fans tripped and were trampled. Four girls died from their injuries and a further two were critically injured. The band's families and friends protected them from the details for a very long time and they were legally prevented from talking about the incident publicly. When A1 came back, they were a very different band. The following year, the band released a new album called Make It Good. Everything about A1 was radically different to what they had done before. The big change was they played their instruments live on stage. It almost looked like they were trying to reject the hysteria of their previous releases. There was no dancing or winking at the crowd and the t-shirts and muscle tops were replaced with jumpers and jackets. It was a risk, but it did work and the band had their biggest hit, Caught in the Middle. At that time, relations in the band were difficult. At one point, Ben asked Paul to sing slightly off mic in a sound check, and Paul didn't speak to him for a month. The band had been trying to have a hit in France, so it was decided that they would release Caught in the Middle there as a duet with a French singer, Yves Angelique. The band were informed that she wanted to start the song, which meant that Paul's vocals would be lifted and replaced. They were at Heathrow Airport on the way to Paris to promote the single when they received a text from Paul to say that he had quit. This led to the end of A1. To this day, Paul has refused all communication with his former bandmates. They finished out their touring commitments as a trio after the record label dropped them. After the demise of the band, Ben threw himself into producing and writing. He released a solo single, Sorry, after his stint in Celebrity Big Brother. A1 reformed as a trio in 2009 and released an album called Waiting for Daylight. In 2013, they joined the cast of The Big Reunion, even though they were very much together as a group. They released another album, Rediscovered, in 2014. A1 is a big part of what the public know about Ben. He produces a lot of hit records in very diverse styles. He has a home studio in London and he writes and produces constantly. His songwriting partner is Shelley Poole from Alicia's Attic and they've created hits for people like Sam Bailey, Craig David, JLS, Robin Thicke and Alexandra Burke. He has written a classical music EP called Change and as a side project, he's also written a musical called Eugenius. Eugenius. 
Ben works really, really hard and creates constantly. He lives in a very nice house in London and he's very down to earth and funny. But you also see he's very organised and you will hear from the interview that he's a guy that likes to get things done. Also, Ben is very good looking. And I say that because the weekend before I interview him, I had done the Cat Laughs Festival in Kilkenny. And then I finished a six month tour with a show in Cork. And I got home at 1.30am and was up at six for a flight. And I went straight to Ben's house with my case. And I have never felt like more of a heap in my life. But never mind, we had a lovely time and he makes a mean cup of coffee. He's a fascinating guy and he is great company. If you didn't love him already, you're going to love him now. This is Ben Adams. Uh, ben Adams from A1. Uh, it is an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank uh, you. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm just wondering what was in your case. What was it? Uh, it's gift? all my worldly belongings. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. good. Nice. Everything I own. Oh wow! What a small case. <laughs> anyway. so you were just saying that you've just you're just back from you were doing an A1 show in. Uh, yeah, Norway. in uh, in Oslo, uh, we have lots of A1 concerts. Uh, really, we did we did uh, you know like stadiums in um, Asia last year, and this year we've got about I don't know twenty plus different concerts all over the place. So um, it's quite funny when you see people on social media going, "Oh, when's A1 going to get back together?" And you're like, oh, "Well, <laughs> we kind of are." Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant going well. Yeah, so everything's going well. So yeah, it's uh, yeah interesting. So when did it start? You joined A1 when you were about your mid-teens, weren't you? I was 16, so I was still doing my GCSEs, and then I went down to um, an audition uh, in London, and I got it, and it actually wasn't for A1, it was for another band. Um, and then the guy, the, the guys that were putting it together, they were like, oh, great, and these are the songs that you're going to be singing, and uh, we've got some like great singers that are going to sing the song. You know, a typical boy band kind of thing. I was like, well, actually, I'd quite like to write my own songs, and I'd quite like to actually sing on the records. Um, so I didn't join that one, but I met Mark through that particular audition. He then went on to meet uh, our manager that managed us for A1, who actually managed Steps at the time. Okay, yeah. And that was kind of, and he'd, he'd already had two or three members that he wanted for this band, uh, which turned out to be A1. Uh, so we met them, kicked out a few of them, and uh, that was it. A1 was born. <laughs> And you were, I was reading, uh, you were apparent, you were a chorister, you were the mm. head choir boy. I was, I was head chorister of uh, St Margaret's Westminster Abbey, so that was, um, I mean to be honest it's, it, it's very different kind of singing, but it, it's definitely great training wise because I've been singing from a very young age, um, every single day, you know Christmas day even, you know Easter day, um, sung for the Pope and royal weddings. So that, that's the, the choir boy that stands in Westminster Abbey and sings the, yeah, the exactly. voice piano stuff. Exactly, yeah, and you know, I, I, we did uh, European tours, I did two classical albums with them, um, so I'd done quite a lot of stuff before A1, so it was just, I mean, I think people weren't surprised that I went in sort of a pop uh, direction rather than continuing with the classical stuff. Because, you know, I basically just wanted to be Michael Jackson when I was young, yeah. and that was it. So, and the only opportunity I got to sing at school was to be in a choir. So, um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how, that's kind of what happened before I won. So, when you, when you met the other guys, because the, the, I remember when A1 first came out, it was around the time of, there were a lot of kind of flash-in-the-pan boy bands. There mm. were boy bands that stayed around for a couple of singles, an album, and then it kind of fell apart yeah you know and in looking at A1 everybody was so different it was like it was like three different bands I think because I think yourself and Mark always looked like you were in a band in the, the same band whereas right. I think Paul was a different band yeah. and then I think Christian was a, another band again yeah well I mean we were, we were just we are and we still are today um, just very very different individuals I think and that's when you know when people meet us I think they're always surprised at how different we are and we all get on you know great well obviously not Paul anymore um, we, we don't speak to him at all at all at all no um, in fact we're not allowed to speak to him we have to go through his dad if we ever want to do have contact which is a bit odd but I think um, I don't know he had his own reasons or whatever it's never really been resolved but um, aside from that uh, myself Mark and Christian are, are very good friends um, and yeah we just we all came from very different backgrounds very different interests very different like musical tastes um, and I think maybe that was part of the reason 
why it worked because we had a lot a lot of different elements to offer uh, yeah. it wasn't just all you know one thing or it wasn't just you know we actually wrote you know, all the songs except for Take On Me obviously um, so you know I think that's what kind of kept us afloat and kept us going because you know when we needed a big hit we'd just go and write it rather than relying on other people to try and come up with it did that give you loads of power did you have more power than the average boy band because you were writing all the hits um, I don't think we had more power I think we had more work to do because obviously you know, okay. just popped into the studio <laughs> saying a song that was already written um, which sounds handy it, that's well, it, my kind of band it, it, it does sound handy but, um, <laughs> I'll give you two hours <laughs> yeah no, it, but you know it, I mean especially now when I think about you know, what I'm doing now it definitely set me up for life rather than you know I think a lot of bands of our era when the band was over the band was really over, you know, there was no yeah. more gigs, there was no more money coming in for anything. Um, and thankfully, because, you know, I or we wrote all of the songs, you know, we always have royalty checks coming through <clears throat> the door, whether we're working or not. So it's quite... That's a very nice situation to, for work you did before you were even 20. <laughs> I, know, I know, it was, you know, a sort of, uh, you know, I mean, thankfully, I've done a lot of stuff after that as well. Which, yeah. But, it, you know, it, it, if, for example, I decided not to work for a year... I know that I have loads of royalty checks coming in anyway, so it's not really that stressful. I'm rapidly going off you. Oh, right, sorry. <laughs> you yeah. like such no, a nice no, person, no, but I, you know no, what? You know no, what, I'll I don't. I don't need this. Okay, no, it's, it's been tough. It's been very tough. Is that good, good. Yeah, yeah, you're really depressed. You're miserable. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Brilliant. Was it ever a problem? Because one of the things I noticed when you listen to all of those A1 albums is every single album has a different sound. Hmm. You progressed in the. I think you've done five albums. Yes, yeah, but it's like a ten-album progression. Yeah, well, that, that's. I think again, that's because we were so different, and also when we first started out, it was more of a manufactured uh, band because the management had an idea of what sound they wanted for us. You know, we were we were part of you know the Steps uh, management. Yeah. Um, well, it was their managers that managed us, so it was very clean cut and very squeaky clean and very very pop. Which was fine, and you know, I, I don't know if that was exactly what we wanted to do musically, but we thought, okay, well, here's an opportunity. It was a lot of dancing. Is, it was a lot of dancing, and that was one thing that we were never very good at, you know, as a, as a group. Even today, we did a gig the other day, and we just we just fell apart. But we were like, okay, well, we'd already said to them, we're now going to show you why we don't dance anymore because okay. we're pretty bad as a, as step a, together class. as a group. Yeah, I mean, individually, it's fine, but like our bodies just don't look good in sync. It just doesn't work. Um, but yeah, so we did that, and then the second album, um, you know, NSYNC and Backstreet Boys were sort of the biggest uh, boy bands around at that time, so we went over to LA and we had a whole bunch of American producers doing stuff uh, on that album. And then... Um, With that album, did the budget suddenly get really, really big? If you look at the artwork for the singles, yeah. you know, with the start, like you, you were often seen in a rugby shirt, you know, whereas yeah. like with, with, with album two, it was... The videos had lots of like CGI and yeah, all yeah. that stuff going on. Did you feel like a real injection of faith? Yeah, I did. But I think also, I think with any band, even even nowadays, um, you know, record companies won't throw everything at it until they know if it works or not. So the okay. first album was a bit more, you know, let's put it out, let's see what happens. And because it, we'd done, you know, really well for the next one they were like okay now we can actually pump some proper cash into this so you know we did go over to LA we did do the most amazing videos I mean Take On Me was um, I think it cost £250,000 to make and the producers you know some of them were wanting £100,000 per track um, which is kind of what led me on to doing production now because I was sitting there yeah. writing the songs and watching what they were doing in the studio thinking well I can do that and that's a hell of a lot of money to, to be giving somebody so um that's when I really started being interested in the production side. So, hundred grand well. to produce a track. Yeah, I mean the budgets these days because you know not many people buy music anymore. They'll stream it or yeah, download yeah. it or whatever. The budgets aren't the same as that, but you know I'm talking about a time when it was thriving and people were you know selling millions and millions of albums. And when you're selling you know three, four million albums at a time, you can afford to to pay for that kind of budget. But now you know when people go to number one. They're selling like seven or eight thousand albums, so it's it the, the, it doesn't really make make sense. No, no. And back then, would they take on me? Mm. How much would that have sold? I don't know. I've got loads of discs in there. We can probably count it up. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, take on me. 
it would probably have done 300,000 first week maybe and then uh, in, that's just in the UK and then worldwide I mean that was that was pretty big in most most countries um, so I really it's hard to sort of uh, it's, well it's hard to know exactly how many it is but I think we ended up selling about 10 million records uh, worldwide which is kind of fun wow Especially when you think about how many people, how many records people sell today, because it sounds super impressive, but it was a different time. I know. know I mean? <laughs> different and, time. In Ireland, the comparison is always to Enya. It's right. Like, well, Enya. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. Well, she's the biggest artist in the world. Isn't she? I know. The biggest female artist. It's crazy. I love love Enya. Yeah, it's unbelievable because yeah. it, it's something that's ridiculous. Yeah, she's done very well. It's very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, what was it like then around that time? You know, so you you. Take on me as number one, and then the, the second, the follow-up, same old brand yeah. new, went no. to number one. So, what was life like? Uh, well, it was uh, quite hectic, really, because I think within five years we probably had about two weeks off a year, so we were literally all over the place. And I remember when uh, same old brand new went to number one, you'd have thought, "Oh, this is a time to celebrate and have an amazing time," stuff like that. And actually, you know, we were called. I think I don't know what the time difference was, but I was definitely asleep in LA and somebody called me at like 3am or something and said wow you're number one and I was like oh brilliant I'll go back to sleep um, <laughs> and then of course we, we hadn't you know done anything in America then so you know whereas we were massive over here and everywhere else it was all blowing up we were in America writing the album where nobody knew who we were at all so we were like sort of going out like these big shots going like yeah we're number one and going we don't care you know stand, it doesn't matter stand online please sorry. yeah yeah exactly so you know I mean Obviously, it was a great feeling, but we weren't actually there to enjoy it. And is that the way it worked? Was once once you once you cracked somewhere, it's like, well, you're not needed there anymore. You yeah, you go well, exactly. And then you just and then you just you know visit for you know a week at a time and do a couple of concerts, and then you disappear to the next place. Um, you know, it's like that even now. I think you know places like the Philippines and Singapore and Malaysia, so like like we're still massive there. They they play our records all the time, but we'll probably go there once every three years do a couple of concerts and then you know come back here and you know it's it's a slight, it's a strange sort of reality is it kind of nice though because you you literally can leave the place where you're super popular and and be a bit it's just more quite anonymous. Yeah, yeah 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 i think so i mean after after our tour in the last tour in asia i was quite pleased to sort of just have a bit of a breather because it was you know it's it's the same as it was back in the day it was um you know security guards even coming to the toilet with us and you know uh, police escorts and stuff like that which sounds really lovely but at the same time you do sit there and go oh you know what I'd just quite like to do something on my own I'd like to have a pee without someone watching me <laughs> um, so uh, it's you know it's great I'm not complaining because it's brilliant um, having all that but you know I think it's nice to just be able to just have different experiences in different places really I sometimes think when you look at people you know like megastars Hollywood people you kind of go I wonder are they really missing out on something like are they really you know yeah, whereas well, you, you, know, you get both <laughs> to, to be honest it does, that you can be the most famous person in the world and you can still have a life and do what you want to do and you know people that want to be spotted or want to be uh, pictured or you know they'll go to places where they're pictured and then they'll complain about it and stuff but you know anybody can especially in like London and stuff, you know, David Beckham can walk down the street and people are minding their own business and you know he can probably just walk down and no one will approach yeah. him. You know, it's only it's only if you go to places like, you know, the Ivy or uh, you know, just places where people know that celebrities are gonna be, then you'll get spotted. Plenty of places around here, but you know, people just go to local pubs around and you know, you don't notice really when people are, are famous in, in London really. Yeah, it's all very cool. Yeah, very trendy. Very, <laughs> well, it's very trendy. Um, so one one of the things that happened uh, was the instance in Jakarta. Oh yeah, which yeah, yeah. I I had no idea until the big reunion that that happened. Yeah, well, I mean that was that was horrible, obviously. Um, and you know, I think you know, even seeing what's just hap- recently happened in in Manchester, it's just, I mean, any it was such a difficult time for us because you know when you when you do music. All you want to do is to, you know, bring joy to people and, and yeah. be a musician and to sing your songs. You don't ever expect things to happen where people, you know, die or, or lose lose yeah. their lives. I mean, this was very different to the Manchester thing. Now, it wasn't like any, of any like evil intent or no yeah. one was killing anybody. But um, well, for people that don't know, there were four girls that unfortunately um, got squashed uh, at the front. I think two girls got squashed at the front of a store. 
um, in like a stampede to try and see us and then when uh, we, uh, they sort of noticed this and tried to get us out of there there was an, another stampede trying to get round the back to try and get to our bus and I think a couple of girls died on or trampled on the escalators or something um, so I mean that's a pretty shocking thing to to, yeah. to happen you know you'd never expect that that kind of thing's going to happen I don't there's no one you can really blame in those situations I mean, particularly that one that was the first time we'd, we'd been to Indonesia so we didn't know if we were popular or not we had no idea I think there was a signing and they were expecting about 2,000 people and I think more like 15, 20,000 people turned up so there just wasn't the there wasn't enough no security there wasn't yeah. you know they, they nobody had any idea so um, so yeah that was that was a, a weird time and that um, we, we didn't do anything as a band for a long time after that because we were just like this is not what we got into music for this is you know shocking we, 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 you know if this is if this is what it's about we don't know if we want to continue um, so yeah that was a, a really odd, odd and, experience so how long did you take off after that because the, like the fallout or something like that it just seems so just bizarre to that situation for it to happen mm. but even though it's something it's nothing really to do with you but it, yeah but the fact that you're there you, like you, obviously, you must feel terrible after it. Like, uh, yeah, of course. Know, I mean, I mean, although as you say, it wasn't wasn't yeah. their fault. You know, it, it does weigh heavy on your mind that you know these are people that came to see you or came to see your group. Yeah. And if if your group hadn't have been there, you know, perhaps they would still be alive. So that always, you know, even to this to this day, so yeah, weighs yeah. heavy on my mind. And we had you know counselling after that, and and you know we we took a long time off. I don't think we did anything together for about a year after that because um, we just couldn't get our heads around it really um, and yeah it was a, yeah I don't really know I don't really know how to how to explain how I feel about that it's just a, a major tragedy yeah obviously much more tragic for the families and stuff and yeah yeah but, lost, I, but because um, I think you, you all seem to change your direction completely mm. after that like the the boy band thing was gone yeah really. it, it became you kind of went back to your musical roots like yeah. you're they were playing it was you're a proper band yeah, yeah well I think I think the reason why we changed sort of direction and tack on, on that third album was because when we sort of came back together after a time of being apart and we were like okay well you know if we are going to continue doing music and, and stuff you know it, it should probably be the type of music that we really want to do um, not that we didn't love doing the other stuff it was yeah. fine when we wrote it so obviously it is part of what we're doing but we're like what do we actually want to do as a band and you know what what kind of sound would it be um, and that's when we had you know tracks like Caught in the Middle uh, Make It Good that were more kind of band oriented yeah. and we were like you know we just want to play our instruments we want to do music for the love of music um, and you know not like I said not that we didn't love it before but we just wanted to do it on our own terms I think was it infinitely more satisfying? Well, it was super satisfying when we released Caught in the Middle and it was our yeah. biggest record that we'd ever had. It was pretty much number one in every... You wrote that, you? I, Yeah, I wrote that. I wrote that with... Um, actually, I wrote that with Paul. Okay. Um, and, uh, and a couple of other people that were writing it there. There was... Uh, what was his name? Chris Porter and... I think his name was Rick Nietzsche. But they produced the record. Um, but yeah, so that was uh, that was a great feeling because obviously we, we we were doing our own thing and we just had the biggest hit of our career. Uh, and and is it true that you you didn't want to release that? You, I you... hated that record. If I'm really honest, I, I um we had a bit of a standoff with the record company because they heard it, went crazy over it, and said, "Well, that has to be your first single off off the next record." And we were like, "Well." We think it should be make it good, which is a record I didn't write. So I was a championing, you know, championing, championing. Cha- yeah, cha- yeah, is that the word? God, there you go. <laughs> um, I was like championing uh, somebody else's song. So I, I really didn't believe in it. Uh, but anyway, they sort of said, well, you know, release that or release nothing. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> okay, we'll, okay go, yeah. we'll go with that one. Uh, and then, yeah, they, they happened to be right. Thank goodness. That, that is a great story. Like, it's lovely to be wrong if you yeah. benefit hugely. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, I, I couldn't believe it. And, you know, just seeing all the, you know, from that record, we had people that, you know, really didn't like A1, um, you know, before actually turning around and going, oh, this is actually amazing. Yeah. So it kind of it kind of bridged a, a huge gap. We, we went from just being like a, a boy band loved by teens and, and, you know, that kind of demographic to actually that particular song being able to break barriers 
uh, with all types of people, all age ranges, you know, guys um, and other territories that we tried to break beforehand and we'd been there and we'd done promo, gone to number 56 or whatever it is in the charts, you know, the, the, you know Germany and Australia and we just never had any success there and all of a sudden we had this record that suddenly opened up all, all these doors for us, which was amazing. What I think is brilliant about that as well is that in 2001, when you, you got the nominate, the you won the Brit Award for Best mm. Newcomer. Yeah. And it was, uh, you were up against... We were up Col- against yeah, Coldplay, Coldplay and... Craig David. Craig David. And I can't remember who the other people were. I don't know. And then Noel Gallagher. Yeah, he didn't like He didn't, he didn't like, like it at all. He, he didn't like that we won that. But to be honest, you know, it doesn't matter what he thinks because it was... Um, it didn't matter what anyone thought because that was the only um, award in the Brit Award in the, the Brit Awards ceremony that was voted for by the by the fans or by the people so you know it wasn't like we asked to win that or somebody in a in a you know high position had said you know what we're going to make A1 yeah. on this that was voted for by the general public so you can't really argue with that but what's great about it is though that the sound that you then had your biggest hit with yeah what it was comparable to like I suppose Oasis and Coldplay it was that guitar-y rock yeah. sound I think that was the first time I felt like Actually, we were uh, we could be a sort of credible band in our own rights, rather than sort of be you know a, a, not flash in the pan kind of pop thing. But we didn't have to necessarily go with the trends of what was going on. We could just do what we wanted to do, release our own music, and also be a big success at the same time. It was very short lived because then uh, we released um, Make It Good, which was fine. But people, uh, we had a bit of a uh, struggle with with Make It Good because we delivered that to radio. Um, and they were still like hammering caught in the middle over everything so they sort of said to us well we don't want to play make it good we want to still play caught in the middle which was brilliant um, but at the same time didn't really help us promote the next okay. single so because people were still you know they were caught, still stuck on they the, were still on the stuck hit. on, yeah, on, yeah. on caught in the middle which you know is a nice position to be in but it you know it meant that make it good kind of went a bit under the radar um, so that made that uh, sort of promotion a bit more tricky, uh, and then after that, we um, that was our last single of the of that particular era, because uh, after that, Paul decided that he wanted to leave the band, and, and um, it was, I think we were go- I think Caught in the Middle was number one or something like that in France, and we were going over. And this was the first time we'd ever had success in France, as I said, you know, before, um, and he just didn't turn up at the airport, and then he just sent us a text saying uh, I've sent a letter to your management of resignation or something like that and that was it that was the end so that seems bonkers it was a bit weird if I'm honest because you know and we even said to him can you just hang on for a few more weeks because we're about to sign off the budget for the next single and you know if you leave now we're all going to lose a huge amount of money and it's all going to go a bit tits up Um, and he said no so that was that really And 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 then it all kind of just unraveled which was a bit a bit irritating especially when things were going so well yeah and I just remember I think um, uh, they, they were making some changes at the record company and, and instead of it being like Columbia and Epic and uh, I think it was S2 or something at the time they were all joining together so any any band that didn't seem completely solid uh, was sort of on the chopping block, really, and we knew this as well. So even though we were huge, I think I remember my management calling me, and uh, they said, "Yeah, so we've got something to tell you." And I was like, "Right, okay." And bear in mind, point in the middle, I think it was still number one in most, yeah, in yeah. most countries at this time. And then, yeah, so you've been dropped by Sony, and I was, I was like, "What do you mean? Like we're we're still doing we're doing amazing everywhere." They're like, "I know, I know," but they just said they weren't going to continue with it. I was like, "Oh." Okay, that's weird. <laughs> so it was a very weird ending um, to A1. And then I think at the time, there were lots of other record companies that wanted to continue, you know, take, take it over and, and, and continue with A1. But we'd been working for five years by then, um, solidly, and without any breaks at all. And we kind of thought, you know what, if we're going to have a bit of a break, we may as well have a break when we're actually flying high. And yeah, to number be one. remembered as like a... Uh, you know, a, a, a big successful band, rather than try it with somebody else, not have quite the budgets. You know, start sort of trickling downwards in the charts and then, yeah. and go out. You know, fizzle yeah, out. Yeah, because if, if you fizzle out, it's, yeah. it's definitely over. But if you go out, exactly, go out know. with a bang. So that's what we did. 
and then and then yeah, that was that was that. I'm always curious as to what happens. You know, say you're, you're dropped by the record company, and then you, you know, all of a sudden there's no schedule. There's yeah, you know, there's just nothing happened. Like so, when do you kind of realize? Oh yeah, that's over. Um. Well, as you say, when there was nothing in the, in the in the diary, you know, you know, we'd usually be you know everywhere and anywhere all the time, and we had people there telling us when to get up, when to brush our teeth, when to tie our shoelaces, all that kind of stuff. And then I sort of sat there and I um, I looked at my diary and I thought, oh my god, what do I do for the rest of my life? You know, this is <laughs> it's empty. I really no don't know. Because what age were you were then? You were about twenty one. Uh, about yeah, twenty one, twenty two. Um, so it's a bit weird. You're, you're sort of almost retired the age of 21, 22, because, you know, I'd set out to become a pop star, and I'd done that, I'd set out to become number one in the charts, I'd done that, I, you know, it was, I kind of achieved everything I wanted to achieve in a really compact um, time, and then it was sort of about trying to figure out what it was that I wanted to do next, because I'd already, you know, like, in a regular job, you build up, you build up, you build up, yeah. you become like, you know, you're working your way to the, to the top. To be yeah. honest, I'd already done that, you know, and yeah. now I was like, okay, well, what else do I want to do now? And it was a weird time. I, 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 I just got drunk most of the time. I'm honest. <laughs> I sort of sat there and I was like, well, what shall I do? I know what I'll do. I'll go on loads of holidays. And I did. Um, I, I just, I spent loads of time. I just went out all the time and I did all the things that I should have done when I was, you okay, know, yeah. all like, you know, all that, that period when you're, at school or at uni and, and you know you're just going out with your mates and getting drunk and all that kind of, you know just having a really good time I'd missed all of that so yeah. I spent you know I think the next year or two just doing exactly that and having a really amazing time but the only problem was was that um, all of my friends had already done all of that and I you know while they yeah. were at school and, and doing their A-levels and their uh, uni stuff I was um, I, I was off being a, a a singer all over the world doing you know all sorts of stuff so when we when we came back together I suddenly realised we didn't have anything in common because we'd just grown up completely yeah. differently and I still have some very good friends that are, uh, from school that are good friends of mine now and, and, and um, but you know the majority of people that you'd normally hang out with it's just like wow I don't have anything anything we're, we're, we're at such different like points in our life here yeah. that it's hard to it was weird because uh, people were either too interested in A1 uh, or, or in the success or in whatever it was and then it became a bit weird to hang out with them or they were the opposite and they acted like they didn't know didn't care or, or hated A1 or sort of ridiculed it a bit because they were jealous or because you know yeah, whatever yeah. whatever reason yeah. and then I didn't want to hang out with them either so I actually had a very small um, group of friends to, to go and have fun with I actually I can really relate to that because there's it's very off-putting when somebody's really, really into... Mm. I, I think particularly if you're going out with somebody or something, and somebody is just, oh yeah, I'll come to that, I'll come to that. And you're like, well, it was yeah. a bit like, you know, it's with some people, anything I said, you know, or I said like a joke that was mildly funny, and it would be like a, <laughs> you know, like, just go crazy. Oh, and it, yeah, it's yeah. a bit like, you know, this is just weird. This is not like just a normal... Sort of. It's not a normal uh, relationship that you, yeah. you sort of have with, with people. Um so yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a weird kind of time to adjust, and the only people that really understood um, how I was feeling about things uh, were my bandmates, who I didn't really see anymore either because yeah. we weren't working together, um, or other people that had been singers or are singers, and, and so that's why you know a lot of my friends then became people that were in the industry um, and had and or, or were experiencing what I'd experienced because I just I couldn't find. Um, common ground yeah it's very hard else. to find that balance I, I find that when I'm on the when I do a tour where you get like the first couple of tours it's you know people are just asking about it mm. and now like at this one I don't I think at this is I don't know how many it is but it's people aren't like friends aren't asking about it it's just about you know yeah. their kids and stuff and yeah. you're not getting the text yeah. to go we're doing this on Saturday because they know you're not yeah, doing this on Saturday exactly. so all of a sudden you're just like this is pretty isolating. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, oh, there's my dog. He wants to join in with the He really feels sorry for me. He really does. Well said, Mr. T. Well yeah. said. Um, but no, I mean, even now, I mean, because uh, I mean, I'm at such a different, 
don't want to say mental age, that makes me sound like, you know, yeah. like, I don't know, uh, immature or whatever, but you know, all of my friends now are having kids and, and, you know, moving away from London into the country and stuff. And, you know, unless I, you know, I, I just don't, I don't hang out with them very much because, I, again, I don't have a, you know, I'm at a different place in, in my life. So I actually tend to hang out with my brother and sister who are 10 years younger than me. Yeah. My girlfriend's 10 years younger than me. Um, and that, that is the sort of age group that I feel most comfortable with because I kind of lost 10 years of my life um, in growing up. Um, yeah. So I kind of feel like I have more in common with them than I do people my own age. You know, I'm 35, you know, be 40 in five years' time. And when I meet people my own age, I'm a bit like, Gosh, yeah, you're dull. You, you know, you're, 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 you're sort of grown up, aren't you? You're an adult. Uh, you know, you do adult things, and I don't. You know, I just mess about the whole time. <laughs> Even my job, you know, when I'm, when I'm producing records, in, in, you know, I just sit there, and I'm basically just making silly sounds with other adults in a room. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, it's the most bizarre job. You know, it's weird. So, yeah, it's a strange reality. You mentioned there that you're a producer, and you produce a lot of hits. Like you yeah, produce, I've done, yeah. yeah, it's been great. And you're working with Shelley from Alicia's Attic. Yes, yeah, you, me you and Shelley have been uh, as a writing team. working together as a writing team for a, a very long time now. So, uh, I mean, most recently we did the Ward Thomas Girls, who were the big number one country sensation of, of uh, last year, and they're doing great now. So we've done some stuff for their new record. Um, there's a new uh, band out called The Wandering Hearts that we've um, done some stuff with this year. The band called Jess and the Bandits, a lot of country stuff because she's quite influenced by country and loves that kind of thing. Um, so we've, that, we've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff recently. And then, you know, I've been doing pop kind of stuff. Um, I've been working with, I've done stuff with JLS and with um, Collabro. Yeah, the, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. They just had a, a pretty good time in the charts recently, which is good for them because they released it on their own label. It was very successful. Oh, cool. Uh, Sam Bailey, uh, Alexandra Burke lots of the voice winners and stuff. I've just literally been doing so much stuff which is why it always makes me laugh when I read you know Buzzfeed or whatever and they go where are they now <laughs> and what are they doing now and you know I've actually been kind of the exact same thing <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly but I've also I've done so much stuff but people unless unless it's in their face or it's yeah. on their TV screens or whatever they don't know and also I don't think they care you know I went yeah. down to the Ward Thomas um, concert that was just at Shepherd's Bush and you know, they, they start singing Guilty Flowers, which is one of the ones that we did. Um, and, you know, people are singing all around, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, they're loving it, and then they turn around, and then someone recognises me and goes, oh, I, um, what are you doing here? I was like, oh, oh, I, I, um, I wrote the song you just sang. They went, no, no, Ward Thomas write their own stuff. I was like, okay, well, that's good. <laughs> which they do, they wrote it with us. But it's like people don't care who yeah. writes the record or produces the record. And even when I, I just wrote a, a musical called Eugenius, which um, it's taken a long time to write. It was a big old project, and we put it on at the Palladium. Um, oh wow! One night, um, just it was supposed to be a workshop. Uh, most workshops that you do for theatre, you do it like for 20, 20 people, you know, above a pub or something like that. But the producers were so confident in it, they were like, "No, we'll book the Palladium." Which and when when they said that, we were like, "What are you doing? That's going to be the biggest car crash ever." Not only is you know, it massive. We're never going to fill it. We thought we'd have like the front of the stalls or something. But also, if you're opening yourself up to the public for a workshop when something is not finished, yeah, you yeah. could, you know, that whole three years of work could be completely down the drain. You know, you're not protecting the the yeah, show. the brand. Yeah. So um, anyway, no one listened. We went ahead with that, and uh, thankfully, it went amazing. We got amazing reviews and stuff like that. And so now we're just trying to work out the right theatres to go and actually do its first full-on production so that's where I'm going this afternoon to go and have meetings with, with that uh, but it's a huge project like I you know I've been writing songs and producing songs for years but never taken on a musical and I don't know maybe I was just naive I didn't actually realise how much work it is I just didn't really think about it too much but yeah. you know, there's 28 full songs and then there's all the underscoring and then once you've done that, then other people have to come in. There's obviously the script writer that's done all the scripts, and then you have the choreographers and the stylists and the set designer. I mean, it's it's mammoth, and it takes. It's a really frustrating process, but it's really rewarding. But my point is, that was a bit of a tangent. But when I when we put that um, show on, I was standing there in the room afterwards with all the actors and with all the 
know, people that have been on stage. Um, and they were sort of going, oh my God, this show was brilliant. Oh my God, it was so brilliant. I loved that song and I loved this and it's so funny and all this stuff. And then they sort of come to me and they were like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh my goodness. I wrote, I wrote the it's whole thing. It's been from a one. I wrote, exactly. I, like, I wrote what you just is, been saying is amazing. And they're like, did you? Like, in disbelief. So, yeah, I was a bit like, okay. So, um, it's, you know. And that does really, I can, I can actually see that bothers you. It bothers me. Well, yeah. It bothers me a little bit because I'm not like doing stuff for, for the glory of it. But, you know, I think when you're a creative person, yeah. you do want the feedback. You know, it's a bit like, when you're on stage, that immediate feedback from the audience is amazing, and there's no feeling like it. Yeah. And I think when you know when when you're doing so much, and, and it's not even recognised, you know that that you're doing this. You know, or like these buzz things, Buzzfeed things will yeah. say, "What's he been doing?" Oh, you know, he had a stint in Big Brother and tried a solo album, and that's all they write. And you go, "Hold on a minute," you know. Not that it matters too much, but you know. I'm so busy all the yeah. time, every day, doing stuff behind the scenes, and they just don't see that. The the stuff that you did actually, the you wrote the classical EP. Mm. That stuff is absolutely brilliant. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah, that was a bit of a surprise actually, because I um, I, I I love classical music. I've always listened to it. It's always been part of my Spotify playlist, and um, I actually really like listening to my own music uh, that I write. So I thought, <laughs> well, you know what? I just do I just do like my own versions of. of I'll do my own kind of um, classical stuff so I can listen to that the, um, there's one I can't remember what the name of it is Ocean something oh Ocean's Apart yeah Ocean's Apart yeah that I was listening to that this morning this will tell you my level of culture that should be a theme tune for Avira an really? episode of Avira on ITV right well I, I thought Game of Thrones or something you know, right. something, something like that no absolutely but it wasn't I didn't do any of those you know whereas every day I, you know, I write and produce stuff for people to for it to be become hits so I'll make sure that they're what people want and it's popular and I, you know because I'm doing it so long I know what kind of things people yeah. want to hear and, and, and what's going to work and that project was just for me I didn't I wasn't even going to release it I just was doing it because I loved doing it written uh, you know um, a whole bunch of uh, songs and I played it to my manager and he said well why aren't you releasing this and I thought well because I didn't d- didn't write it to be released, I wrote it just for me. I just thought I'd play it to you out of interest, so you you could see what else you know I, I was into. And he said, "Well, you have to." And I thought, "Well, no one's going to be interested in in you know Ben from A One doing a, a classical album. That just sounds weird. It even sounds weird to me, you know, because that's just not what people would expect." And I didn't think anyone would want to listen to it. And then as soon as we released it, it was like straight into number one on the iTunes uh, classical charts and stuff like that and I was like oh so I was a bit surprised to yeah. be honest um, I've only released six of them there's another six there waiting oh, wow. to go um, but because I've, there are so many different uh, projects of my own now that I'm releasing I kind of have to stagger the releases um, <laughs> that happens when you're productive <laughs> yeah well, exactly I'm, I'm, I'm like a, a really um, uh, self-driven person so, and there's so many things I want to do so you know, so aside from the musical and the production with other people, I do set, I do kind of sit there a lot of the time and think. I like writing songs and I like producing songs, but a lot of the time, you know, you write these songs with people. They go off and they uh, have a lot of fun with it, and they go and do tours, and um, you kind of sit there in in the room the next day with another band, going like, oh, so same four walls, you know, <laughs> writing something with someone else, and they're going to go and have fun with it. Um, so I needed to make sure that actually I'm doing you know stuff for myself as well. So uh, I've just written a solo album which I've done ten tracks for uh, so far, and I'm going to start releasing those. Um, we're gonna, actually going to start releasing the concept album for Eugenius as well. Uh, so I've been getting all of the actors in. I've got some great people on that. You know, there's Brian Blessed, and, and if oh, anyone's wow. listening to that knows anything about musical theatre, it's like musical theatre royalty that are on this album. Oh, go on, hit me Sharon with them. D. Clark. I don't know if you ever heard of her. Uh, yeah, I've heard of her. Uh, she yeah. did like Lion King and yeah, like, yeah. Um, Warwick Davis. Um, the uh, who else? Gosh, uh, Amy Lennox. Do you know her? Oh yes, she's uh, from Kinky Boots, and yes. she was in um, Lazarus. Uh, yeah, I think I saw her in Kinky Boots. Yeah, with yeah. Dan Buckley, he's great. Um, and then I'm doing uh, sort of the main character as well. I wasn't going to; I was going to let somebody else do it, but I kind of thought, you know what? I'm putting all this work into it. I think yeah. I'm doing it. Why exactly. Um, and there are probably loads. But you don't want to do the matinees. 
No, no, no. Well, that's no, someone, I wasn't, no, I'm not going to be. I'm not going to be in the show. I'm, I'm just going to be just on, the, the, album. on yeah, the concept yeah, album, and I can yeah. just release it and relax. Well done. Um, but yeah, but no. I mean, there are probably loads of people on it that I've uh, forgotten, and they'll be like, "Why didn't you mention me?" Um, but yeah, no. It's, it's been it's been a fun project. But there, so there are loads of things that I'm going to be releasing very soon. So I, I can't just release everything at the same time. So that's yeah. why I've held back. Some of so what else do you want to do? Because you, you strike me as somebody who, like you're saying you're 35 now, mm. and you've, you kind of strike me as somebody who has the, like the back catalogue of maybe a 50-year-old. Right, yeah, no. <laughs> but, um, so, like, what, what, what else would you like to do? Like, because you, you, I can see even by your time with production here, and I can sign four walls. Like, yeah. what, what else, where else would you like to go with your career? Oh, gosh, I don't, I don't know. I mean, to be honest, I, it's, 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 as long as it carries on how it's going now, um, I'll be pretty happy because I managed to make my life very varied and I get quite bored quite quickly of the same thing. So, you know, I love producing records and I love being on stage and I love writing songs and, I, you know, and I also like hanging out and having a very, you know, nice chill time going on lots of holidays. So as long as it's varied, then great, you know, and if the solo album can lead to doing concerts on my own as well as doing stuff with A1, or, you know, maybe I'll do some classical recitals some places, you know, I just, I kind of feel like there's not really, the, the sky is the limit, really, and it is for everybody, but I, thankfully, I, you know, I'm so thankful and so grateful for having the A1 experience that it opened up so many doors for me, uh, yeah. and it still does, and, you know, I mean... I don't know what I'd be doing if I hadn't have been an A1. You know, lots of my friends were musicians and, and stuff, and, and, you know, they, they never got the opportunity to do it. So they're still trying to do it, but they're still fighting against, you know, um, just trying to get their foot in the door. So, you know, I've just done loads. I even did uh, the new Fat Face commercials and stuff like that and had oh, nice. um, you know, produced all those and stuff. So just as long as it's varied and it doesn't get stale, then I'll be fine. I would like to do more performing though um, rather than being so behind the scenes I don't mind that um, but I think I need to do a little bit more kind of performing and and you know just doing stuff in the in front of the camera rather than behind all the time to some extent you've stayed out of the reality thing a little bit like you, you well, did, I did you Big, did Big the, Brother so Big I didn't Brother. really stay out well, of it well that's just one thing like I mean there's yeah. people that pop up on everything <laughs> yeah exactly well to be honest every time they sort of my manager calls me and he goes do you want to do this one I'm like what is it it's a celebrity sheepdog herding. I'm like, sorry, sorry. Are you even calling me to ask me if I want to do this? What? What's the money like for a celebrity sheepdog herding? No, I didn't even get that far. I was just like, no, oh, come on, that's that's not happening. But you know, I mean, you know, it's great that they're putting stuff my way all the time. But you know, there's, if there's something I really want to do, like I went over to to Norway because they offered me um, Strictly Come Dancing over there. Oh, um, the Nor Norwegian version. The Norwegian version, which was a bit weird because I was like, well, you know, I'm not Norwegian, but hey, that sounds fun. Um, and I thought it'd be a really easy thing because I was like, it's fine, I've done, you know, dancing my whole life, you know, it's going to be fine. And it's actually really, really hard, really tricky. And, you know, things that I just took for granted, you know, it was, it was really tough. Anyway, I came, I came second on that, so I did pretty good. I should have won if I'm really, really honest. I think everyone that comes second says they should have won. Yeah, should have won. But I should have won. Um, definitely, because I was much better than the girl that, that came first. Who was the girl um, that came first? You won't know her because she's a Norwegian celebrity, and she'll hate me if she ever ever uh, listens to this. But um, but yeah, it was it was a great experience. So I guess that's kind of reality TV ish. But I think the thing that I didn't like about Big Brother was that um, I sort of come straight off it, and I, I became a celebrity for no reason. You know, people didn't know okay. me for a skill. They didn't know me because, you know, I, I was more famous then for being Ben from Big Brother than I was, you know, Ben from A1 or Ben the musician or Ben the singer or whatever. So I kind of felt a bit like, okay, if I'm going to do uh, anything celebrity or reality-wise in the future, I want to try and make sure that uh, it's actually showing a skill or learning yeah, yeah. something or doing something that... Is fulfilling rather than just living with a bunch of crazy people on TV for, 
for three weeks. Um, so you know, I who, mean, who won your celebrity big uh, brother? Ulrika Johnson. Ulrika Johnson. Yeah, nice. and there was Coolio in that one, and Vern Troyer and Latoya Jackson and stuff. It was a real. Oh my god! It was a real strange old bunch. Um, and I do keep in contact with a few of them, um, but um, you know, there's only so much I have in common with uh, Latoya. People. Well, actually, I don't speak to her at all. But if I squinted my eyes, she looked a bit like Michael Jackson. So it was like a dream come true. Oh god! Um, yeah, you want to be yeah, Michael Jackson? Exactly. So, um, but no, I mean. You know, things like, you know, I'd speak to Coolio quite a bit and then I was like, well, you know, after after the sort of Big Brother bubble burst, you think, how much do I have in common with like with a, sort of a, a gangster rapper guy? I was like, probably not a lot. So, you know, we'll, we'll you know, even me and Vern Troyer, um, if people don't know, he's the guy that played Mini-Me in Austin Powers. You know, we'll exchange the odd text every now and then or if he's in London, we'll try and catch up or... You know, that kind of thing. But, you know, again, there's only so much that you have in common with, with Vern Troy. Apart from being in Big Brother with him. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, that's beside the point. I just think that, you know, I mean, who knows? I might eat my words and might end up doing some reality show that's completely uh, nothing to do with any sort of skill because, I don't know, money. for whatever reason, money or... Money. You know, but also, I think profile-wise, it is, you know... It is always nice just to do a couple of things every now and then just to raise your profile and just remind yeah, yeah. people of what you're doing. And then you have an excuse to tell people that you're working behind the scenes and blah, 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 rather than just thinking, oh, well, you know, he must be a roofer now. Or you know, that kind of thing. It's, you know, it's nice to get the opportunity to have a reason I'd to say it'd be a brutal roofer van. No, I, I just don't know anything about roofs, if I'm honest. So um, I'd be a pretty bad roofer. That's the thing is, I'm actually, because I left school so early... I'm actually not qualified to do anything. You know, I don't even have a CV to give into McDonald's. You know, there's this... I don't have... If I had to do something else other than music, I, I don't know what I'd do. I've got no skills other than music. It's funny, I interviewed uh, Mariama from The Honeys. Yeah. And she was saying that when she went... Because she trained to... She's a midwife now. Right, yeah. Uh, so when she went for train to go back and do a degree to yeah. become a midwife she had all these references from you know a music manager and a songwriting team and yeah. <laughs> she was going to do interviews and yeah to do something saying, a proper you're job in, you're serious. in the funny what <laughs> yeah no I know it's a weird it's a weird thing and you know I, I mean hats off to her you know, that, if that's the career she wanted to take and I know like some of the guys from Damage you know they now work with um, children that need help and oh, yeah. yeah so they do find you know things that they love to do I have only ever wanted to be a musician and a singer and to do with music so I'm very thankful that it paid off because I know so many people even a lot of the bands that we started out with that you know their dream was over very early and thankfully yeah. I've been able to you know continue it why do you think that is do you think that the fact that you were able to continue did you get like a you know a light bulb moment or good advice or or did you just keep your eyes on the prize or what, what was it that made um, you that has kept you in it? Uh, I think, to be honest, it was a bit of a natural progression, really, because I think... Because I don't think it's luck, because you're really motivated. Like, well, it, it, there's always you know, luck. You know, there was luck that I happened to be at the right audition on the right day. With I'm sure there were people out there that were much um, better singers or, or better looking or, or, you know, better dancers or whatever. There, there are people out there that are better than me at all of that. But with anything, especially in this industry and with acting... It's being in the right place, meeting the right person at the right time, knowing the right people that can put you together with the right people to, to make a success of stuff. So I think a lot of it is luck, um, but I do think you create your own luck. So, you know, when I was handed an opportunity, like, sure, you can write the songs for anyone. I didn't go, oh, yeah, that'd be nice, but I, I'm going to play PlayStation. You know, I was like, uh, you know, actually, PlayStation wasn't around then. Probably Game Boy. Game Boy, that's how old Tetris. I Tetris. Or Snake on Snake, your Nokia. Exactly, I'm going to play Snake. No, you know, so I was handed an opportunity to write yeah. the songs, and I thought, brilliant, I'm going to write the best songs I can possibly write. And even if you look if you look at the progression of A1 albums, some of the songs I wrote on the first album are crap. You know, because I was 16 years old. I what? didn't know what I was doing. I was like, oh, well, this... this, this What's is your least favourite one? Oh, there are a few on there. I don't even want to mention them because people will, people will go on Spotify and go go on there and go, oh yeah, he's right, that is crap. But just, you know, there are, there are there some are, crap there are, songs. There are, if you were to find Yeah, them. and some of them are B-sides, you know, but, you know, you get better. But I grew up and I learnt my craft in the public eye. So I didn't have... It wasn't like I learnt songwriting from 
16 until I was 22 and then I started releasing songs no I just wrote songs and released them okay, and yeah. you know so it was it was um, yeah it was uh, I kind of learnt what I was doing but I, going back to the um, the reason why it's continued like this I think like I say I've just literally taken the opportunities and run with them so you know I, I, I don't sit back and, and go you know if I'm going to write a musical I won't go oh I'll write a few songs and see what it is I will sit and I will write that whole musical and I will get it to a finished product and then I will take it to the right people and if somebody gives me you know an opportunity to uh, put it on in this theatre then I'll make sure I make use of that you know th- that kind of thing really and I think being allowed to you know write all of the songs, well, not all, you know, apart from Take On Me, as I said, um, all the songs for A1 really put me in a good stead because it, it kind of taught me how to do it. And then when I was looking over the, the shoulder of producers, you know, when I left A1, I'd never produced a record. I felt like I could because I play instruments and stuff. But I, we had Mike, uh, a guy called Mike Hedges who did all the uh, oh, yeah, U2 yeah. albums and all that kind of stuff. And he, um, he did our last A1 album. And so when I left day one, I called him and I said, well, what, what is it that you have in your studio? And he gave me a whole list and I bought everything. I bought everything he had in his studio. And I sat there in the studio and I looked around and I thought, I don't know how to use any of this. You know, all these like outboards and these desks and stuff. And I thought, I have no idea. So I spent, you know, aside from holidaying, like I said, uh, I spent the next three, four years just learning every single piece of equipment and learning how it all puts together and my first productions were bad they weren't good really. I thought they were great at the time but you know they weren't and I, I got a whole load of artists in either for free or I get people that weren't signed in um, just so that I could have the experience of learning how to produce and how to produce records so you know they got something out of it because they wanted to be a singer and they wanted tracks uh, and I got something out of it because I could actually learn how to do it. And some of these people were horrible. They weren't very good at all. They couldn't sing a note and stuff like that. But that put me in good stead as well because now if I get like a half-decent singer in, um, I can make them sound amazing because I know how to produce a really bad singer. You know, it's like a breeze. Yeah, of course. (laughs) It's a breeze, you know. So it's, um, you know, everything... I just... just, I'm not satisfied if I'm... You know, even if I'm sitting here for a day... And I find it very hard to switch off and to go like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, relax for the day because I always think, oh, maybe I should be doing, maybe I should be doing this or could be doing this. And I think that's the problem with also having a studio in your house is that I never switch off. You know, if I had a workplace that I could go to and then come back and then, you know, home was like a haven of now's time to relax. That's fine. Yeah. But, you know, even if I'm sitting there watching, you know, a movie with my girlfriend or whatever, I'm sitting there going like, oh, I could be right. And then I'm sort of writing some lyrics or I'm doing it. It's not, I don't really ever switch off. Yeah, I think I, I find that when you work for yourself, and definitely like my partner goes to work at eight o'clock in the morning, and I go into the spare room to write. Yeah. Whatever. And, yeah. and you do have that feeling whenever you're taking, when you're taking actual time off, mm. that it's just the guilt associated with it. Yeah, because, you know, you, you, you never know when you're going to write the next massive hit or the next uh, um, you know uh, show that is yeah, really, yeah. you don't know when it's going to be you don't know which one it's going to be so actually me doing an interview with you now I could be writing the best hit in the world but I'm I'm, I'm wasting time <laughs> now what's going on get back wasting, to it I'm going to get back, back to, to it. it no but like you know what I mean like I'm, I'm, my brain is constantly going and constantly wanting to I don't even know what what the ultimate goal is you know I, I don't know where I want to be or where I don't know what I'm aiming for I'm just aiming to make the most of my time on earth, especially when you see how short, you know, life yeah. can be and, and, you know, all the craziness that happens around and stuff like that and just trying to enjoy every second. I think that's the main, if, if I was to, well, I'm, I'm asking myself questions and, and saying them now, but <laughs> if anyone was to ask me what was the best advice that I could ever give them, um, and it would always be to try and live in the moment and enjoy what you're doing at, that particular time because I can think back on so so much of my life where I've been moaning or because I've been away or I'm tired or things aren't happening right or you know this record was number one but this one was only number three and you know all this all the kind of worries and the crap that goes on you know if you just look outside or you sort of read the newspaper and you see all the atrocities in the world and realize how short life is you just got to try and enjoy everything at the time it's happening I wish I could go back and tell myself 
that when I was yeah. one and say enjoy this time right now yes you're in Australia and you're tired and you've just done three gigs in a row blah, blah, but you're in Australia and you've done three gigs in a row yeah. that's amazing you know <laughs> just try and enjoy it because you know and it's so hard I have to tell myself all the time now like if I'm frustrated that you know the song hasn't been cut on, on a record or you know they said no to doing this gig or you know the, the things didn't go right you know, try and not focus on those, focus on the good things and just go, cool, well, you know, it will all work itself out, hopefully. Bam, that was brilliant. Excellent. It was great to talk to you. Thank you, lovely to talk to you. That was Ben Adams there. He is a very nice guy. As Ben said, he wants to do more performing and he's going to be doing a lot more performing. Uh, after the interview when I was leaving he mentioned that he had an offer to star in a tour of Flashdance the Musical and he was trying to decide whether or not to do it and if he could fit it in with all the stuff he's producing but he is going to be doing that tour and he will be starting on the 4th of August until next July. If you're in Ireland he will be doing a show at the Millennium Forum in Derry next year and that is an absolutely lovely venue. Uh, I've done that myself. Also Ben has a solo album in the works and when that is ready to go You'll hear it here first. Ben is at Ben Adams UK on Twitter. You can follow me at Garode Farrelly and GarodeFarrelly.com for those live dates. If you like the show, please do come along to a live Fascinated, which will be recorded on the 20th of September, which is a Wednesday, at the Workman's Club in Dublin as part of the Dublin Podcast Festival. There will be a few guests on the night and one of them will be none other than the fantastic Naomi Coleman and she will also be playing live. I cannot wait for that. She is just fantastic. So if you want to hear more about Naomi, you can check her out on episode 19 of this very podcast. Fascinated at headstuff.org if you want to get in touch and there will be a new episode soon. Thank you for listening. Tips for interviewing number two. Don't hit on the guests. If I told my teenage self that one day I would be showing up on your doorstep in London with a case, I think my teenage self would have said, yeah, that's pretty much the way that's going to go. Great, really? (laughs) Okay, well, that's fine. Likewise. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. When you see someone sipping on a crisp, refreshing drink from McDonald's, you may suddenly crave one too. And that's normal. It's more than a drink. It's a McDonald's drink. Right now, you can treat yourself to deliciously refreshing beverages like an ice-cold Dr. Pepper or other soft drink for only $1. Prices of participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.